This is Jonathan Mickles with the Strategic Multifamily Investing Podcast. And today I have with me Mr. John Cashman. How you doing, John? Jonathan, I'm great. It's great to be here. I'm glad to talk to you today. So uh, let's get this thing going, man. Yeah. So your assistant reached out to me and says, hey, I want to be on your podcast. And I was like, uh, how are people finding me? And I, so I, I feel it an honor and a privilege to uh, to be able to speak with you today. So that's really good. Uh, you have an assistant, first of all, that's a good thing. So <laughs> that tells me that you've been doing something in the uh, in the multifamily space, or at least in, in the real estate space. Talk to me a little bit about, about your story. How did you how did you break in? Yeah, man. Top line is, you know, I'm a former corporate, you know, work rat, you know, was uh, in, in corporate America for 15 years doing marketing and advertising for large brands. I worked at General Motors, worked on uh, Nike, Coors Light, Mountain Dew, uh, some other brands like that for 15 years. And um, I slowly started building my own personal portfolio on the side before starting to work with other investors and scaling into large multifamily apartments. Um, by doing that and helping other investors get cash flow, diversification, tax benefits, without the headaches of being a the landlord themselves, uh, we've partnered with them to invest in over $100 million worth of apartments to date. And uh, we've been full-time at this for a few years now, helping other people invest. And uh, yeah, man, we've been able to scale, build out our team, have some systems and processes, and obviously leveraging some of the things we learned from corporate world and trying to implement those into our own business. So, uh, you know, happy to continue to grow and learn from other people. And, you know, podcasting is one of those things that's been really important for us, hosting our own show, Multifamily Insights, uh, but also talking and being a guest on other podcasts and connecting with other people, learning from them. And I just think it's one of those things where the more you can connect with people and learn and network, the more opportunities that you'll have to see success for yourself. So then you you have a <clears throat> very diverse uh, background, obviously very impressive in doing marketing and research. Marketing and research is good, but then how did you pivot to like real estate multifamily? What was the the thing, if you will, that that kind of said, okay, I need to go this direction? Yeah, not exactly an organic switch, right? Going from uh, doing TV yeah. spots to uh, buying apartment buildings. Uh, you know, what, what happened for me really was you have to run the clock way back, right? Like many of your your listeners and some of your guests, um, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was in college. And the book really just, and this is like closer when it first came out. So the book really just connected some concepts that I don't think I really understood before, but I had no idea how to invest in real estate. Like literally I went home one summer, I'm looking at a newspaper trying to buy real estate. Like I thought that's how you found property. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I obviously didn't end up buying anything at that time, but you fast forward and I was working at GM 2007, 2008. Well, the economic downturn is looming and my company is the face of the crash and i'm mm -hmm. watching my boss's boss on cable news and i just talked to her two hours ago and she told me john everything's fine we just got to do our job keep your head down and here she is talking to some anchor saying that if we don't sell 15 million units as an industry we're all going to be bankrupt man so i remember the anxiety just being on a whole other level and um Ultimately, I was thinking about what my options were. I could obviously look for another job. A lot of the places weren't hiring because I didn't realize at that time it was a it was an industry thing, an economic thing. I thought it was my company because I only saw my company on the news. That was the headline in Detroit, right? So 
I just kept seeing my company and I'm like, okay, I got to get out of automotive, got to get out of automotive. And, um, you know, kept looking at other opportunities. But I think the biggest thing was there was a day when there were going to be the layoffs, right? We, we knew it was coming. And finally, it was D-Day. Layoffs were happening. Um, I was going to be safe. I, I was told that. But you just you just never know. You never know. And I went into the office late that day, as late as I could without making it an issue. And um, it was a quiet, somber day, dude. Like, it was like, you know, the old Western movies with the the tweed kind of rolling. It was like that, man. So I walk in, it's just very quiet. Nobody's talking. And um, there was a red light, a red message uh, waiting for me. So I pick up my phone, listen to the voicemail. I mean, my heart just jumps up to my throat. It's beating. And uh, it's the guy who sat right in front of me. And um, he is distraught. And he mentions that he was let go earlier in the day. He's diabetic. He had no idea how he's going to pay for his insulin. He had worked for the company for 22 years. He's what we call a lifer. His plan was work here for 30 years, retire, get that pension, the benefits, and be set. Wow. He got to 22, and um, 22 is not enough to qualify for those perks. And uh, he didn't know what to do. And I just remember feeling a great sense of empathy for him, but also never wanting to be in that position um and it just it was tough man listening to that the voicemail and whatever reason all like i don't know if it was immediately at that time but like as i just sat there throughout the day right i thought i went back to rich dad poor dad and like why you should work for skills and invest in real estate and you know the four quadrants and all that all of it just kept running through my head and i i think that moment i committed and said you know what I've been interested in real estate up to this point. It needs to go from being interested to committed to investing in real estate. So I never have to be in that position. Um, and that's really what took me down the path. It took a couple of years before I could buy the first property. So then I had to learn how to overcome the various obstacles. Again, I'm in Detroit, 2008, 2009. Not exactly the time for a new investor to be confident buying property in Detroit. The bottom right? so, falls out in Detroit about that time. I think it, a lot it of was it was out, and everyone I knew who had property was trying to fire sell it. So again, as a new investor, I'm like, oh, I'm about to. No, I wasn't buying it up. I was trying to like, okay, this doesn't look like the place to buy right now. Let me go somewhere else. And I, I didn't. I moved to Chicago in 2011. <laughs> And then uh, we made our first purchase in 2012. So that's when I got, you know, okay. so it took about three years to pull the trigger. But again, I was committed those whole three years. There was no so, way for that. Commitment. So, so let, let's talk, let's talk about some of this because some, you know, some people who get involved or getting whatever, I mean, obviously you were doing, you know, fairly well, you know, if you, if your boss's boss is on cable news, you know, you're not necessarily a frontline worker at it. and granted, you know, you've been privileged to have some things, but you know, also, I, I know that there are a lot of high high dollar earners who kind of live paycheck to paycheck. But how did you generate the revenue? I mean, what 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 did you put in place? You know, you were committed for those three years. What what how, how did you get the money to be able to do that? Or did you just leverage other things? Well, that's a great question. First of all, let's answer the first part. Right. And here's a little bit of a misnomer. Just because you work for corporate America doesn't mean you are a big time high earner. Okay. So I was a junior level employee. We were so thin as an organization, you know, I mean, literally, and I've seen other companies where it's not like this. And again, I was on the agency side and the client side, but our firm, we were really thin. You know, we had 
Uh, I was a, an assistant ad manager. Then I became an ad manager. I had a, um, basically a director. Then we had a, for lack of better terms, a group director. And then we had kind of, you know, the, um, the CMO essentially, or vice president of marketing. So we didn't, I didn't have that many steps between us. Now, again, it was, it was wide horizontally because we had eight different brands at that time before we shrunk down to four. Um, but there weren't a whole lot of people above. It wasn't this long ladder that had to be climbed. It was just a wide you know, group of options of people to select from. So for me, I was early in my career and I was, you know, I wasn't even making six figures at that time. So um, I got promoted, obviously, continued to climb the ladder. Ultimately got to the place where I was making more money. Um, but part of it was understanding how to save. And when my, my wife and I got married, we moved to Chicago and we went through our finances and we've always been pretty good with saving money, being you know, efficient. Um, I've had two uh, cars in my life, two new cars that I've bought. Um, I bought a car in 2003, brand new car. I bought a second car when we had our first child because his car seat wouldn't really fit in that first car like they told us. So we got an SUV. And those are the only two cars I've ever had. So they've been, you know, my cars. Of have course, been they were both GMs, right? They were both GMs. The second one was. I was committed the second time. The first time I got that before GM hired me. They used to make me park in a far, far lot. And again, I was pretty thrifty. So I'm like, look, I, I, would, I would happily drive a GM vehicle, but I ain't about to buy a new car. And then I got to the point where I got promoted where they gave you a company car. So I was like, okay, that, that works. So, and that's some nice so cars there, too. That's good. So you you and your wife in Chicago are going through your, yeah. your finances. What are you mm -hmm. using? Are you using something like Dave Ramsey? Are you using Budgetista? Nah, you, nah, what, man, nah, none what of that. Pen and paper, bro. Pen and paper. Pen and paper. Pen and paper. Pen and paper. We not even an Excel spreadsheet. But not pen even Excel. Pen and paper. Okay. We wrote down our income. We wrote down all of our expenses. And um, we put out how much we wanted to save. And that was it. We automated the savings. I think a huge tip I tell everybody, and it, just, it seems really simple, but sometimes things that are simple are the most important. Everything in okay. life doesn't okay. have to be complicated. Okay. If so you that, save first, you never see it and it's automated. Like that is one of the most <clears throat> important things you could ever do. Automate so, that. So before, before I have anything that I can spend, I treat my savings like a bill. It's an automated bill that comes out the same time every month and goes to another account that I really don't look at. So then let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let's talk about that. So yeah. do you do it? Did you do it like as a, a, um, uh, because, you know, if you work a W2 job, a lot of times they allow you to be able to split out your, you know, your money, you know, everything goes to a checking account or do you want, this portion to go to this account, this account to go to this account. This did you do it there, or did you wait till it got to your main checking account and then you moved it over? Yeah, it got to the main check. So essentially, let's say you get paid on the first and fifteenth, right? Sure. Just for an example, if I know I'm getting paid on the first and fifteenth, on the third and the eighteenth, I would have X amount of dollars transferred into the savings account. Got it. So it was it was just automatically set up to pull from that account. And if I wanted to stop it, I would have had to proactively go in there and do something to to stop it. But otherwise, it was automatic. So by the you know, I always knew that money I couldn't really touch it or account for because it was getting pulled out. What was your what was your savings rate? So uh, we we saved 
I think each we saved about 20% of our check, 20 to 25% of our check. Wow. Um, off and, the gross uh, or off the net? I don't remember that far back. Probably yeah. off the net. I think off the net. I think off the net. Um, but the other piece of it is there's always levers you can pull. So um, when we when we bought that first property, we house had, yeah. we bought a two unit, lived in one unit, rented out the other. And I'll get back to how we how we did That's that. That's good. Well, now we actually reduced our expenses. So now I'm only really paying like 500, uh, I'm sorry, we're paying about $700 uh, a month for our portion of the mortgage and the resident, the first floor resident was paying the rest of the mortgage, right? And everything else on the expense side. So now we had extra money where we can save more. So we can increase that and just throw that into the savings bucket. But we saved and saved and saved. And you eventually- saved before you purchased the, the Oh yeah, market? oh yeah, oh, oh okay. yeah. We were saving the whole time. I was saving, but I always saved. I, I was saving okay. when I was in high school. I mean, that was, I was always been a kind of a frugal kid. So I was always saving money. Uh, so we, we had it from that standpoint was just, you know, saving. My wife has a very similar mentality. So we saved, we had a joint account. She had her account, uh, my account, we had a joint account. She took a portion of her check. It went automatically into that joint account. I took a portion of my check, went automatically into the joint account. So that started to grow. So when we went to look for that first property, we had like $50,000 to go buy it. And um, we didn't know about some of the programs that were out there. And they have programs for first-time home buyers. They have the FHA program. So when we were able to get that, we actually had an excess of capital. So we used that to renovate the property and reinvest in it because we had thought we thought we needed sixty, seventy thousand dollars or so to to buy this property. And it was like, no, nah, you're actually only gonna need about twelve thousand. I was like, oh, well, what am I gonna do with this extra money? It was like, well, let's we were gonna maybe use credit cards or something to fix it up, but let's just use the cash to fix it up. And that's what we there did. You go. That, and the reason why I bring this up, and first of all, thank you for very much for being no. so transparent and, and going down that rabbit hole is because at the time of this taping, this is August of 2022. And, <clears throat> you know, uh, all the experts are saying we're in a recession, we're in a bear market, right? Which means that there've been two quarters of negative or downturn, if you will, that's in the market. So it goes from being a bull into a bear. I won't get into it. But what that means is, you know, we've had a bunch of things happening that the, the feds have increased interest rates, right? And then the higher the interest rates go, right? And this is impacting multifamily as well, right? No. The higher the interest rates, the less that you'll be able to afford than what you could before. Um, and so that means that cash becomes king in this kind of a situation. And so I wanted you to kind of talk about that because, you know, you are a real couple, right? that's out there that's, that did this and made this happen. And, you know, it's good for somebody to see in an economic downturn in, you know, 2008, right? You did the things that were necessary. It took you a couple of years, but you were able to, at the end of that, come out by a two unit. There's so many different lessons here. Let me go back to another one. One thing that you mentioned is that your wife it was on board. As, as, as they say in the Bible, you need to be equally yoked. That's number one. So hopefully, you know, your partner or spouse is out there that's equally yoked, who has the same vision as you. You guys come together, you sit down, pen and paper. That's the, that's, you know, what Dave Ramsey says is that, you know, somebody's always the nerd who's, you know, going through the spreadsheets or pen and paper, but then both people need to come together and actually figure that out. And, and that's, that's amazing that you were able to do that. You figured out that you needed a certain percentage amount, 
right? That you needed to save 20% of your check off the net, off the gross. That's fine. There's some, you know, uh, things that I've seen that says, you know, pay yourself, you know, 3% in savings, 3% you give to, um, uh, to the working poor homeless, and then 3% you use for vacations and other things like that in the future. Doesn't matter, whatever that is, figure out what it is because cash is going to be king, if you will, here. Um, there's some reports that I see that it won't be, the recession won't be official until 2023. Well, then there were going to be additional things that are going to change. And again, I've, I've heard the Fed kind of, you know, hint, hey, it's about to get a little bit tighter. And they're thinking about potentially increasing interest rates another point. Another thing that you mentioned that was really good is another point if somebody wanted to get these lessons is that you went for a multifamily home as your primary residence. So FHA, VA allows you to be able to purchase a home up to four units. So in if you're looking for a home, a thought is to do the house hacking. Don't necessarily get a, a single family and run out the basement necessarily, right? That's a way, that's one way of being able to do it if you're in, a, in an area that does that. But you can also get up to four units, live in one, renovate the others, as you mentioned, use the income from that to help you to be able to pay for the mortgage. And then that gives you the ability to be able to save more. So excellent, excellent, you know, uh, process that you all had there. And, you know, I'm happy. Th thank you so much for sharing and being transparent with that. I was just on another, um, not podcast, but it was a radio show by uh, the Missouri Black Chamber of Commerce. And we were talking specifically about some of these things as well, because, you know, I'm, I'm still licensed in Maryland and in DC, even though I don't really do a lot of or transact any business, but these are things that I've found that I've, I've shared with others that have maybe had access to the VA. Another thing with the VA loan is that there's 0% down, right? If I'm not mistaken, it's like one is 0% down. And the same thing for a um, USDA loan. So what is USDA? Generally, that's uh, those are properties that may be a little bit more rural, maybe outside of the city center, outside of the suburbs. Those are things that, um, uh, that are out there. And I mean, you know, we, we have about 10 minutes left here in our, in our conversation and it, we haven't even really touched multifamily, but I really <laughs> think this is going to be something that's very positive for everybody who is interested in getting into multifamily, right. Or, or doing their next deal is to recognize the focus on cash. Is there anything else that, as we always say, we like to give people the boot that one little thing, two little things, series of little things that they can do to help improve themselves and move on to the next level. Is there any advice that you have, any tips that you have, especially in this market that we're in? Absolutely. Listen, the network that you have, you know, the there's lots of sayings about it. Your network is your net worth. Uh, there's one I love that says you are the average of the five people you spend the most amount of time with. But you have to surround yourself with people who are investing or playing life at the level you want to be playing it at. And for me, it came down to surrounding myself with other real estate investors. And that will help you take action and learn from mistakes they've made, get feedback and making those decisions. And I'll tell you this, um, I'm, ha I'm obviously very happy to get started in real estate. But as I look back, I always think about that guy I mentioned to you before, you know, who, who didn't really have a plan B. And when we started to scale into multifamily, part of me was like, okay, you said you don't want to be like that, but 
you're still working your W2 job. You, you don't have a whole lot of other assets, right? I started to accumulate some small multifamily, but I wasn't fully insulated. And what really triggered me to really grow and focus was being able to work with other people because I was always limited by how much money I was able to save. And in some regards, that's kind of that scarcity mentality, right? It's like, well, I have X amount of dollars, so that's what I can go get. And when I flipped the switch to say, you know what, I can help other people. I can serve other people. I can help them get into real estate. I can help them get into apartment investing without them having to invest the same energy, time, you know, everything that I've done to learn this business, they can partner with me and get the same benefits. And that allows us to scale. And someone like that person who I used to work with, they would be a great person to work with us. So now they've got at least something else coming in that can give them a little bit of cash flow. They've got some equity. They can maybe reduce their tax liability. And those are the people that we try to help now with these deals. So I would say if you are on the fence or you're trying to get started, you're trying to get traction, figure out the first win. What is the easiest path to getting a win? You don't have to do this all by yourself. You don't have to learn the entire business and do it by yourself. House hacking was great for me because I was already a renter. So to live like a renter, but own the whole building was a very natural transition for me. And I didn't have kids at the time. So it was kind of a great way for us to transition. If you can do that, that's my number one way to get started. Another thing you might want to think about is JV and or partner with somebody who's got some experience if you've got capital. And then third, and you can do a deal like ours, right? We buy larger apartment buildings and we work with everyday professionals to partner alongside of us. So the scale that we get from those deals actually makes them less risky, as crazy as it sounds. They're less risky because they're much bigger. Meaning if I've got a one unit and I have a hundred unit and that one person move out, well, now I'm 0% occupied in that one unit, right? And I've got to rush to get it filled so I can make money again, yeah. but I'm solely relying on that one unit. On a hundred unit, because it's so big, there's the economy of scales. I'm projecting that we're going to lose anywhere between three and five, maybe up to seven residents every single month. So we're anticipating this. I can plan this. You can't plan that on a one unit, right? You can't really, you're going to go 10, 11 months with it being a hundred and occupied. And then one month at zero, you know, if the furnace goes out, that's a big ticket item and probably wipes out your entire profits for the year on a single family house. It's something that we plan for in a larger apartment building. So we also have full-time professional staff right. at that apartment <laughs> building. If you got a rental, you're probably that staff. You know, you're right. probably self-managing exactly. that property with zero yeah. experience. So it's just a different ball game. So it's something that if you are a full-time busy professional, it's another path for you to get started. But pick what makes sense for you and eliminate those obstacles so you can start to see that traction in your life. So you mentioned, you know, in, in our last couple of minutes here that, uh, that you know, it's it's good to be around people who, who think like yourself. Are there any communities you want to shout out that oh, uh, our listeners could potentially jump in and, you know, be a part of? There's a ton. You know, I would say, first of all, go to Bigger Pockets. Bigger Pockets is a phenomenal resource. Uh, it was instrumental in me getting traction and actually surrounding myself with people and finding other events. And you can find other events and communities on Bigger Pockets. There are various Facebook groups. So feel free to go to Facebook. You could type in, you know, multifamily or multifamily in your city and see what comes up. Uh, there are a lot of different options there. You can also go to meetup.com. And typically you'll find meetup groups in your local market that you can attend. So there are other ones that are national RIA events, which is just real estate investor association events. Uh, but I would say try to find a few, try to show up a couple of times, get the feel, get the vibe, 
and find your community. Feel where you, you know, where do you feel comfortable? Where are the people who are like you? Some of these events are trying to sell your program. So you just understand that, you know, a lot of these people are trying to make money. Um, and that's fine either way. I don't have a preference, but go where you feel comfortable. You know, if you want to be in an environment where no one's pitching you and it's like-minded people and you can make friends, find that community. But uh, those are three great resources between BiggerPockets, Facebook, and meetup.com to try to find communities that suit your needs. How do people get in contact with you, John? How do they join you know, your community? Yeah, we got a sample deal package that'll get you on our newsletter, but it'll also give you a sense of what these deals actually look like. So if you are looking to scale your portfolio, whether you want to be active or passive, learn what to look for in a deal, what you should be looking for in a package. Uh, that's at kasmancapital.com slash sample deal. In addition to that, we have our own podcast called Multifamily Insights, and you can check that out anywhere you listen to podcasts. So Multifamily Insights, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to shows. Excellent. Well, listen, John, thank you so much for uh, reaching out and, uh, you know, agreeing to be a part of the podcast. We look forward to potentially working with you in the future, man. And uh, all the best to you, even in the, all the success in this economic downturn that we're about to experience. Jonathan, thank you for having me. Man. It was great talking to you today. All right. Thank you.